my name is Mike St. Dennis. I'm the associate pastor here at All Souls. If you're new and visiting with us this morning, welcome. We're so glad to have you here. If you're back with us this morning, uh, so glad to have you here. Uh, if you are uh, here and you're just back from last week or from first service, again, we're just so glad that you're here. We're just so glad, really, I think is what it is. Uh, my responsibilities, uh, the associate pastor of uh, building, and that's not just the f- physical building here, uh, but of really spiritual formation. How do we grow? How are we shaped? Um, and I, I love that this is my job because I'm very interested and curious about that. I, I want to grow. I don't want to be the same tomorrow that I was today. I want to be transformed and made new, and maybe you do as well. We're in a series titled Teach Us to Pray, uh, a sermon series for this period of Lent. So we're going to go through a few more weeks, and along with the sermon series, there's a study guide available on our website. Many of our small groups are going through the study guide. A lot of folks are going through it on their own. Uh, and it's not really study so much as it is practice, right? So it's just exposing ourselves to different aspects of prayer, different benefits of prayer, different types of prayer. Um, the one that, that, I, that I'm sad we did not include is uh, in seminary, I had a handful of Korean Presbyterian friends in our seminary. And going to church with them. And uh, I remember the pastor getting up and saying, let us pray. And they all stood up and they all prayed out loud together. And it was chaos, but it was beautiful. And it was awesome. So maybe at the end, if we have time, maybe we'll practice that uh, or not. Teach us to pray. With the spiritual disciplines and something like prayer, uh, I talked to, I talked to one of my things that I like to do, I'm passionate about, is I like to like reach out and follow up with folks uh, that I haven't seen in a while, to connect with folks, uh, to stay in contact in community. For me, in a sense, what we're doing is kind of bringing the church to those, whether they can't come because of a physical ailment or distraction or work schedule, or they're just kind of out of step, out of touch, and they don't know kind of what God is doing in that season. And as I come alongside, routinely, folks will share with me, yeah, you know, I really need to get back into church, and I really need to get in the Word, and I really need to pray. And all the time, when I hear that from people, I start to laugh. Because I, I tell them, that's like starting out on a journey into a brick wall. If it's all about what you're going to do, you're not going to go anywhere. The spiritual disciplines and the practices like prayer Our emphasis in this season is not on what you can do differently in prayer. It's not about the way that you're going to form your prayers differently, and it's all up to you to make something new of yourself. But to practice prayer, along with all the things that we do, to recognize that what we do impacts and changes us. So it's not you changing yourself for the practice of prayer. But what are the ways of prayer that form us, that shape us, that bring us into the life of God, that transform us into the people of God, into his children, according to his design. So as we talk about prayer again this morning, if you think about all the things that you're going to do differently in prayer, you're kind of missing the boat a little bit. And instead, I want you to think about what what is God inviting for me to receive in prayer? What is he inviting to me? What 
kind of work and invitation does he have? And certainly, grace and the work of God is not opposed to effort. But we have to understand that that effort is a lot of times just coming back to him and letting him do the work. It's surrendering. It's getting out of our own way. It's recognizing that everything in life is pulling at us and calling us and seeking to direct us and saying, God, unless I let you direct me, I'm going to end up in a place I don't want to go. And so prayer is a way that we surrender to let God work on us, to transform us, to be present with him that we might be built up in his likeness, that we might feel his calling and his sense of leading for where we bear that likeness in the world so that the world might experience the peace and joy and the hope and the renewal of the life of God. Specifically, our topic this morning is the practice of prayer as giving thanks. And I'm saying giving thanks. I might slip up and say thanksgiving, but I don't want you to think of turkey and fall asleep on me. So hopefully I'll be able to say giving thanks to God today. And when I think about giving thanks, I kind of laugh that I'm the one up here preaching, but it's spring break, and so it fell upon me to to come up here. And I think about that because I'm not a very grateful, thankful person. Um, And it's not that I don't want to be, and I would say I'm way different than I was before. It's still hard for me, but God has changed me and shaped me in a lot of ways. Uh, And so I've grown more thankful. I've been formed by his work to become more thankful, but it's still not natural to me. And so for a long time, I've looked at other people who kind of thankfulness really came easy to them. And you know the the type, the encouragers, those who have a word of affirmation, those who are quick to point out something good that's been said or done. If I, I could count all the emails I have from you, Leslie, about how you've thanked me for different things. I was talking about Taffney this morning. I used to sit in staff meetings with Taffney and have Taffney be so grateful and thankful for all kinds of things. And I was like, well, why I ought to? <laughs> and in reflecting on giving thanks today as a skill, I, I started thinking about my own formation, right? How I have grown up or grown more immature in my life, how I've been formed or malformed. And I recognized something that was kind of ingrained in me, both in my home life growing up, in, in my, the circles I ran with, and then also in my church life. So when I was growing up, we kind of thought that joy and thanksgiving and affirmation, all these kinds of things, they're good things, but they were kind of like the easy things, the low-hanging fruit. You know, like anybody can point out something that's good or celebrated or give thanks. Anybody can do that. But real maturity, uh, real transformation is can you point out what's wrong with everything? Can you do it accurately? Can you be mean in an accurate way? Can you deconstruct the right things? Can you be against the right things? Uh, And so in my life, I I kind of adopted that and took that on, and it has killed me and crushed me. But I've had years and decades of practicing it, and I continue to kind of go back and think, this is the way I'm going to make my life whole. This is the way I'm going to connect with God and connect with others, is by accurately knowing what's wrong with everybody and myself and sitting in it. I got a good Presbyterian upbringing. But what I've realized over the last, I don't know, five or ten years, what God has been doing in me is he's been bringing me back, not to me and what I know about what's right and wrong in the world or in myself, 
but he's brought me back to himself. Kind of always knocking and asking me, do you see what I'm doing? Do you see my presence? Do you see my power? Do you see my promise? Where's your attention? Is it on yourself or on others or is it on me? What has your heart? What has your thoughts? What's given shape to your actions? So this is the question before us this morning, but it's not the only question. You see, I knew when we started a a series on prayer, we were going to get to some hard questions about ourselves and about prayer life. And one of those hard questions we've got to deal with and answer today. But I'm, I'm confident to say, it worked out first service, that theologically we are ready to answer this difficult question. And so I'm going to pose it to you here at the start so that you can ask yourself, how would you answer this question? Where are you at this morning? The question is this. When it comes to practicing prayer as giving thanks, are you required by the law of God to fold your hands, to bow your head, and to offer thanks before eating breakfast, or does that only apply to lunch and dinner? (laughs) Now, again, like some of us grew up, by show of hands, like some of us grew up in the faith, and we're praying before breakfast and before the snacks and before all the meals. And then some of us were kind of late adopters, and we're like, I don't really see the point. But there's other questions to consider, too. Along with do you pray before breakfast, does it change your answer if the breakfast is hot or if it's cold, right? If it's hot, you're probably more inclined to go ahead and do that. But then the next question after that is, uh, do you pray, as we often do before the the food, to bless the hands of the Lord, uh, of the people who prepared it? What if those hands, all they did was rip open the Pop-Tart packet? Is there a blessing that, that needs to be given? Does it change based off who you're eating breakfast with? I'm a pastor, so I have a lot of occasions for Uh, meeting people for breakfast or coffee in the mornings, and it really does seem uh, like we have a lot of people who are praying before breakfast, at least when the pastor's around. (laughs) Uh, This is our posture towards a lot of prayer and 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 even giving thanks, at least for me, this posture where we kind of look at that, we don't get it, we don't know what God is up to, we don't know what he expects of us or what others expect of us. And and again, I want to submit to you, that's the wrong questions to ask. The question to ask is, what is God up to when he feeds you in the morning? What is God up to when he starts your day? What is God up to, and how do we receive it? How do we be with him? If we're going to answer these important questions about when and how to pray and when and how to offer thanksgiving, giving thanks, We've got to first consider why the practice of giving thanks and prayer is so important, why it's commended to us so many times in Scripture, and then two, what impact does it have on us? If we do uh, obey and follow, we practice the way of Jesus, and and we open ourselves up to giving thanks and prayer, how does he shape us? How does he bring renewal? What does he want to form in us by the practice? We're going to look at Psalm 100 this morning, and I'm going to read it through two times because it's just five verses. Uh, and it's a call to worship. My Bible titles it, A Psalm for Giving Grateful Praise. 
And we're going to read it through a couple of times. And then as we move along, we're going to see how it shapes us and how this idea of thanksgiving uh, and prayer, why it's so important and, and how it impacts us. So as I read it through for us two times, let the words wash over you. This psalm would have been said before the assembly of God's people in Israel. Outside of the tent of meeting, the call that would go out to them to come and enter into his presence with joyful songs, with glad hearts. May it invite us similarly into the presence of God this morning. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise him. For the Lord is good, and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. Once again, this call, a psalm for giving grateful praise. Listen to the words of Psalm 100. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And now, God, we ask that by the power of your Holy Spirit, and through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, God, you would open our eyes to see, our ears to hear, our hearts to feel, our hands and feet to follow in thankfulness all that you are doing today for our sake and for the sake of the world around us, for your glory and for our joy. Amen. The first thing that we notice in this passage, and in picking the passage, this was one of hundreds of options of places in the Bible to choose to talk about thanksgiving and praise. But you'll notice here in five verses, thanksgiving and praise is only talked about one time. Enter his gates with thanksgiving, his courts with praise, again give thanks, and praise his name. This passage here is not just about thanksgiving or prayer, but it's about worship. It's a call to worship, to gather together. And if you know the passages in the Bible where over 350 times we're called to give thanks or to give praise, you'll know that the two are, are fairly synonymous. To give thanks and to give praise is really kind of takes the same mechanics. One, receiving something that, that, that causes you to give thanks or that causes you to give praise. So receiving something that's praiseworthy or that's good. 
feeling, sensing, receiving it in yourself and being moved in such a way to express it back. Whether you give thanks or you give praise. And to give thanks is just another form of giving praise and offering and acknowledging something that is good outside of you. And even the reception and being able to see it is a way of receiving it and offering that praise and thanksgiving back. But just like our passage here where thanksgiving and praise are synonymous with one another, the idea of giving thanks and praise is also synonymous with worship. Over and over again, when the call to give thanks and praise goes out to God's people, the vast majority of the time, over 95%, is in the context of calling the people into God's presence. Calling God's people into worship. And we know that that's what worship is. We are gathered here today not just to have friends in fellowship with one another, not just to sing good songs, to hear praise offered up for the world, but we are coming because we want to encounter the living God. We want to come and be in his presence. And over and over again, the call of worship that goes out to the people near and far, those in the faith and outside, is the call to come and know the God of the universe to be moved and to respond to him. Shout for joy to the Lord. Who? All the earth. All the earth. The Apostle Paul reminds us in Romans 1, as we see throughout the Psalms as well, that everything in creation is crying out and groaning to shout to the Lord, to proclaim his miraculous deeds, his wonders, his intimacy, his goodness, his creativity, his justice, his peace, his hope, his presence, his power, his promise, his nearness. The invitation to come and practice prayer of thanksgiving is to let that message meet us. All the songs, all the works of God, his fingerprints and evidence, his presence, to receive it. To give thanks and to give praise, these are synonyms. And to give thanks and praise is a synonym with worship. So then what is worship? What is worship? Worship comes from the old English word. And any time you have an old English word, it's probably uh, fun and good and better than whatever our version of it is now. But the old English word for worship is worth shape. Worth, shape, to be shaped by the worth of something. My first Sunday here at All Souls, I'd grown up all my life in the church, and that first Saturday in January of 2012, I showed up with my tie on, my shirt tucked in, my finest slacks, and a jacket, and then I was in the parking lot and saw everybody walking in and said, what have I done? (laughs) I had... I had shaped my life and grown accustomed to to practices, to values, to knowing the expectations, to knowing the value of, of coming together. And then I was shaped differently by the reality that was here. I had one set of expectations that then got kind of opened my eyes and changed, and I'm so glad that he did because I love wearing shorts and flip-flops. <laughs> Worship is to be shaped by the worth of something. And you are being shaped constantly. There's an illusion in our society that those who don't practice religion don't worship anything. But it's false. 
Because we're all being shaped by the value and the glory and the hope and the peace and the promise of rest and the promise of security and the promise of belonging and the promise of loveliness, the promise of goodness and the promise of justice. We're all being shaped by something because we need all of those things for the sake of our humanity and not just ours, but for the world. So the question is, what is giving shape? What worth? What value? What likeness gives shape to your thought patterns? Give shape to your emotional responses and engagement with the world. Give shape to your actions. The Bible says you cannot serve two masters, but it implies you're going to serve one. So who is it? What is it? How do you know that you are showing up to be with the person of God, to be shaped by his likeness, to be formed by him, to have his worth shape and transform you? All his promises, all his power, all his presence. How do you know when you've gotten off track? What do you slip into? Where do you go? I told you at the beginning where I go is these expectations I've practiced my whole life that the good life, the obedient life, the life of flourishing is rooted in my sense of responsibility and in my performance to obey God, to solve problems, to show up and fix the world. This idea that God gave the plan and he passed it on to me and now it's up to me to get it done. And I can tell you that rather than drawing me closer to God, it became an obstacle and a barrier to receiving his life and being transformed. Over and over again, I would sit there trying to come up with an idea of what God expected of me, what others expected of me, what I expected for myself. And then I was a prisoner serving a master who I could not satisfy and who could not satisfy me. So then I tried something different. And instead of living by my own expectations, because that seemed selfish, I decided instead I'm going to live for the expectations of everyone else. I'm going to be what they need, what they want. I'm going to solve the problems they think are valuable. I'm going to go along and find my glory and my belonging somewhere. And when I tried to do it according to my own values, I didn't get there, so maybe I'll try somebody else's. Guess what? I didn't get there that way either. But God found me along the way. He didn't leave me where I was. I'm not yet who he wants me to be, but I'm better than I used to be. Because I have learned as he has taught me over and over again to come and meet with me that my life is not my own. I cannot bear fruit on my own, but the call for me is to abide and remain with him. And in him, I will bear much fruit. The call of all believers, as we saw in previous sermons here, the call of believers, the first work, the daily office for all people is to shout for joy to the Lord. The, the design that, that we need is every day to come and to see him. It's the only way to be made new, to have hope, peace, joy, any of these positive things. It's the only way to actually love somebody else, not for your own sake that you would feel good about yourself or for their sake, but for the sake of God's glory and all of our joy. 
We've got to see what God is doing. That has to become our attention and our focus. You're going to worship something. You're going to be shaped by something. What is it? Because worship is coming into the presence of God to be shaped by him. Because giving thanks and praise is an act of worship. It's synonymous. Then it's fair to say that that through giving thanks and praise, we can come in to experience the presence of God. To enter into his courts, his gates, his life, his knowledge, his gladness, his joy, his peace, his faithfulness. We talked about lament a few weeks ago and, and the difference between lament and a complaint. Complaint is an experience of suffering and crying out that leads you away from God, often towards whatever, wherever the suffering is located, right? Uh, you know, I lost my mom this last year, my sister this last year, and, and the call and the cry is like, look what's missing, look what's lost. Come and pay attention to here. Unpack all the ways your life will be different and transform. But I realized that that road, even though I'm acknowledging it, was an endless road. There was always going to be more to despair about that was being lost. But the road of lament is not a complaint that leads you away from God, but an acknowledgement of suffering that leads you back to God. It's a door into the presence of God to acknowledge that all is lost or to acknowledge all that is lost with the one who cannot be lost. Recognizing that everything I missed and longed for in losing my mom is tied up in the life of God. What I treasured about the loss and the suffering and the life that we had together was just a picture, a reflection of who God is and all that's in store for me in his presence and in his power where all things are made new. Just like lament is a doorway into the presence of God, giving thanks is a similar doorway. What shapes you? What shapes you? And this isn't like a philosophical or an existential question. The question is, what did you think about the first 10 minutes of your day? What had the power over your thoughts? What commanded your actions and your feelings this morning? For a long time, my life and and just my morning routine looked like snoozing the alarm, looking at my phone before my feet hit the ground, figuring out what emails I missed, what, what fires need to be put out, what's on the calendar and the agenda for the day. I would get up from there and go into the bathroom with a, a window in the back and looking out the back, see the yard, my shame, <laughs> the embarrassment of of everything that needed doing that has gone undone. 
I would walk downstairs hearing the voices of my kids who were already there, already living their life, already engaged, and I wasn't there shepherding them and walking alongside them, enjoying them, giving myself to them. I would get in the car already late to a meeting, driving in the car that probably had a check engine light on and more things I need to fix because we didn't take the car to the mechanic growing up. And then I would get here to a prayer meeting and I wouldn't have much to thank God for or to praise him for. I'd have a lot I could confess. And a few years ago, I went on a three-month sabbatical. And at that time, I had realized with my counselor, with people who were discipling me, with others, that God was inviting me to grow in, in some specific places. And one of those places was to grow in joy and thankfulness. To grow out of what had I've practiced for so many years of everything that needed doing and fixing and solving. And to grow more receptive to the work that he was attending to. The opportunities that he had before me. And so for the first six weeks, as I didn't have work to do, to get up and be shaped and formed by that calendar. Even though I had this break and I was so excited for everything that was going to happen, I grew angrier and angrier and angrier. Until suddenly, six weeks in, on a Wednesday afternoon at 2 o'clock, I sat in my living room without something to fix in the yard, without something to do for work, without anything that needed attending to, and in that moment, my kids came in, and with them brought the presence of God. To sit there and be overwhelmed with their beauty and with gratitude that I had missed, that I knew I had missed time and time again, because of focusing my attention on what I need to do. And in that time, God began to change me. And in a study guide like this, God began to meet me. And all of a sudden, God planted in me something new. And I'm telling you this, you're going to think that I did this. I didn't do this. I woke up one morning, and instead of looking at my phone, my feet hit the ground, and this song from my childhood came in and I said, Today is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. I walked to the back window with the yard still the way that it is. I said, this yard is the yard that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. So often in our lives, we focus on the problems, the opportunities, the expectations that we have or what the world offers, and we let those things shape us, but they can't satisfy. And we live in this world where we think that our growth and our joy is about solving those problems and meeting expectations and doing the next right thing. And we think of it as moving up and to the right, that that's what our life is like. We're just this trend line continuing to go. 
And so we expect that the way that we're going to get there is by fixing the things that are right in front of us. The things that we see or that others see. But what God did for me in meeting me in a place where I didn't know how to give thanks or to give praise or to pay attention to him, he just shouted a little bit louder. He used the songs of my childhood. He used all these things to come and cry out to me one more time to plant his delight and his life and his presence in me so that I would have something to be thankful for. This is the grace of God. In our passage, you see all these commands, right? And it's, it's commanding both our feeling life, what should we should feel like, we should feel joy, we should feel gladness, we should feel thankfulness and praise. It commands our actions to shout, to worship, to come before him, to know, to enter his gates, to enter his courts. It tells us what we should know and practice and attend to, giving shape to our thought life. But one thing we have to understand about worship and giving thanks is it's not like giving thanks to other people. Does anybody have a, anybody have a mom who would fix a meal and then come over and say, how is it? Anybody, people, you're around people who, who, who kind of want to, they're, they're opening up to be affirmed. They're fishing for a compliment. They want to be acknowledged and shared. Did, hey, did you notice what I did over there? God's not like that. God's not fishing for your praise and thanksgiving because he's not sure whether he's done a good job. He's not fishing for your thanksgiving and your attention and your praise because he's lonely or he's sad or, or he's empty of glory. So when he calls us to come into his presence and to offer up thanksgiving and prayer, it's not for his benefit. It's for ours. That we will be shaped and formed by something else. The very life of God to be carried with a song in our heart, to be filled up with delight and peace and hope, all these things that can only come from God so that when we go out into the world around us that is equally tired and hungry and burned out and lonely and empty of glory and suffering, that fountain of life that fills us up would flow out to others. When you are being shaped by anything but the life of God, there will never be enough for you or for everybody around you. But when our communion and our practice is to show up and listen to see what God is up to, that's when transformation will happen. There's a command that Jesus has in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6 that we have all neglected. He says to his audience, consider the birds of the air. See the flowers of the field. Paul says, listen to the trees and the rocks. 
We just sang, if the universe and billions of stars will cry out to you, so will I. But not if we don't listen. The first step of practicing prayer as thanksgiving is to see, consider, listen. Look around you. Over the last couple years, we've been practicing silence and stillness in, in different pockets around the church. Uh, and, and I know it's this weird thing because it doesn't fit the Reformed faith to sit in silence and stillness. It's an older tradition than the Enlightenment in our Western culture. But one of the things that I move by over and over again is that we can sit with one another in silence and stillness, not because any of us have done anything to earn it, but to sit and practice the grace that though we are still, God is working. He neither slumbers nor he sleeps. In our lives, if we are building the houses of justice and peace and hope and security and faithfulness and holiness, and we are doing it in our own strength, we are laboring in vain and wasting our time. But if we see where God is at work and present with us, because we've seen it and we've heard it and we've offered him thanks and praise, now we are plugged into the presence of God that can form us, call us, invite us, and empower us for all that needs doing in the world. The two questions, uh, or, or the, the, the practice that I want you to practice this week, and you'll see it in the prayer guide, and it's what we've just touched on. The first thing that, that you need to do, the first call, the first invitation is in your calendar. It's just, it's creating a little space. It can be two minutes at the beginning of your day. How many of us go to bed thinking of all that we accomplished and all that needs to do in the next day? One of the invitations we saw in prayer's rhythm a couple weeks ago is to give all those things back over to God, that we receive the relaxation and trust that is in his hand, to simply pray, Jesus, Son of God, I'm a sinner. Have mercy on me. Tonight when I sleep and tomorrow when I get up for all that I've done and left undone. But I am yours. You made me. This is the guy that the Lord has made. And I can delight in that, not in myself. So I want to encourage you today and this week to just Put some time in your calendar. Set an alarm on your phone. Create the space. And start with anything. Consider the birds. Consider the flowers. In COVID, I would sit in my garage and, and open up the door, and we would have our Zoom meetings on. And across the street, out in my garage, is a big old tree. And I sit there and watch as the wind will blow, but it doesn't come down. And I got into this habit because I was so convinced that I'm so consumed with myself and I need to be open to God the way he's coming to me that I sat there one day and I stared at the tree, missing phone calls and appointments and all this kind of stuff until the presence of God was in that tree. The presence of God who sustained that tree over, over tens or hundreds of years 
through every storm and season, through every pruning and lying dormancy to bring the leaves back again and the life back again. That tree knows the Lord. You and I can know the Lord in the same way. But not if we don't listen, see, consider. The next thing that I want you to do is not just practice thankfulness for those things. Do that first. That, that is the first part. But it's not just thankfulness as if, if we really just had a better attitude, everything right here would be better. But it's that attitude that leads us, like Jesus teaches, consider the birds. They don't work for their food, yet the Father feeds them. The fields don't adorn themselves in glory, yet God has laid out splendor on them greater than Solomon's house. So to consider and see these things you're thankful for until they lead you to God. We're going to do this individually, but we're also going to do this together. And I want to invite you, this isn't just an attitude of gratitude. This isn't a call to just be thankful, but to give your thanks and your praise away. Write it down. In the Old Testament, over and over again, when God would do something wonderful, they would erect an altar. And they would erect this altar so that they would remember and the people would remember after them that God is the God of the universe. He's gotten us this far. He's near. He's active. Remember him. When you write down in a journal, when you send a thank you note to someone, when you get it from your head and your heart out into the world, when we sing and shout and gather together, when we pray, when we sit in silence, when we do all of these things, we erect in the physical world these altars, remembrances of God's goodness. And they become the foundation for everything that's next. That's the practice, but I want to leave you with this picture. Everything in your life is going to try to shape you. Everything. If you tell me and show me somebody who's sunken into uh, deep despair or melancholy or, or, or into a place of doubt, it's never those things on their own. We can look at calendars. We can look at expectations. We can look at values and see what voices have captured our hearts, have captured our relationships, have led us astray. One of the things in, in marital counseling, uh, it's kind of cliche, but it, it works and it's biblical. When, when there's two people who are in great conflict with one another, they're being driven by the lies that they're believing about who one another is. They're not in reality anymore. And the invitation and the practice is to come back into reality by acknowledging and affirming and giving thanks. Over the last couple of weeks, as we've talked about the practices of prayer, what keeps coming up is it's my kids or it's this relationship I'm in or it's this coworker. There's a place of conflict. Open yourselves up to consider how is God good in that place? Don't let the voices lead you astray, the lies you tell yourself, the expectations of yourself or others. Don't let anything in this world drag you away with the promise that it will heal you because it won't. But in seeing and hearing from God, in a chair that doesn't fall down, 
in a space that we share with each other, in a meal that we eat, in the trees and the birds. God is sufficient to plant his grace and his righteousness in us. The image here is that we are his people, the sheep of his pasture. So I want to close with this video clip. Sheep are dumb, (laughs) but so am I. I will let anything tell me it's the right way to go. Especially the expectations of other people or the expectations that haunt me from my youth. The wounds, the pride and the shame. And all of these things are just empty pits. But we believe in a God who pulls us out of the pit even when we run and take off and we think we've got it this time and we end up back in the hole again. So the invitation is to be near to the shepherd, to come near by acknowledging his common graces, his general graces, the air that we breathe, the food that we eat, even our breakfast cereal, and to let that lead us deeper into his presence, that we would be transformed, that his likeness would penetrate us and invite us to work for justice, to work for rest, to work to mend relationships, to offer praise and thanksgiving to those who have wronged us, those we're believing lies about. And in that way, we enter into this promise that the Lord is good. It's his love and not your effort that endures forever. His faithfulness will continue through all generations. He's pulled you out of the pit Walk alongside with him. Pray in thanksgiving. Amen.